All right, so we are starting um, the week before Gimel Tamos. Today actually is Rosh Chodesh, the second day Rosh Chodesh Tamos. We are in the middle of a series of learning Inyane, Moshiach, and Geula. And we actually are learning Rambam. And being that, Hasidim have a minig to review a specific mimer that the Rebbe gave out very shortly before his first stroke, as I'll give a bit more history in a moment, Bahashgacha Pratis, um, the the essence, core of that Maimer is very much connected to the last halacha that we learned about. So let's just to begin with our topic with the with the with the series of Moshiach, we are learning Rambam Hilchas Malachim, Pedik Yud Aleph. We are in the middle of Halacha Aleph, and the Rambam writes something that's quite radical, you can say, which is that not only if someone negates the belief in the coming of a King Mashiach, is that person denying Nach, denying the Torah, and denying Moshe Rabbeinu, that in itself is a very strong statement. But even if someone believes that eventually, at some point, a person will be crowned as Melech Mashiach and he will get up, as the Ramam described, etc. If a person believes in that, but they do not eagerly await his coming, they do not yearn for his arrival, they do not await his arrival, even that person is negating the prophets, the Torah, and Moshe. And that's really a very radical statement. And that has to be better understood. Right, so last week we spoke about the concept of pillars and faith. That was last week. This week I want to speak about how can you say that if someone believes in something, that they are still a koifer. Koifer means someone who is a heretic if they don't wait for it to happen. It's a very strong statement. Or to ask the question, in other words, how how can you argue? How is it possible to reach this madrega of eagerly awaiting Mashiach's coming? How do, we re- how do we reach that level? It's a very high level to reach. Actually, human nature is that when a person awaits for something to happen, if it doesn't happen, so there's a certain amount of disappointment. After that disappointment, people, uh, how, how long can you live with the disappointment? You know, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait. And human nature is there comes a point where you stop waiting. Not you stop believing. I believe. And whenever it will happen, I'll be very happy that it's happening. But what's that, what's that necessity of the mechake libiyasai, which is really a character trait that this is the merit of the Rebbe, that the Rebbe reawoke amongst the Jewish people. Now there were always tzaddikim that were eagerly waiting Mashiach, but normally the Seder was is that the tzaddik reaches that high level, and we, you know, we had the schus to witness it. And how the Rebbe, and how the Rebbe emphatically emphasized no more. No more is any of this the avoida of a few great tzaddikim or tzedkaniyos. No, that now this is my responsibility. My responsibility, vis-a-vis the coming of Mashiach, let's start with this, is not only believing, but awaiting. So we spoke last week what we spoke last week, right? That, that how do you concretize faith? Right, that was the vart we shared. Normally you concretize faith like... How do I express that I believe that God gave me the Torah? You know how? That when God blesses me with a son, and I'm going to have my son circumcised, that's, a, that's, that's the way I'm going to authenticate, or 
I'm going to express or I'm going to bring down the poil, right? I'm going to put into action my faith. Well, that's only when it comes to mitzvahs, that we express our faith by doing a mitzvah. Being that the believing of Mashiach is not an action-oriented mitzvah, it's a belief mitzvah. So how do you make that belief more real? How do you bring it down? How do you concretize it? How do you express it? That's what we spoke about last week. You express it by bringing it down from the level of faith into the level, into the world of emotions. That when you believe in something, and you know that this is important, not some important, this is the most important thing. If it's important for me, I await for it. I don't await for something if it's not important for me. So that's what we spoke last week, that this mechake is simply a way of bringing down the faith. Whatever we said is emes. And this week I would like to share another angle, another insight, another way of understanding it. And by giving, and by giving the following relatively lengthy hagdama, and it's not only b'shem hagdama, but it's also a minig amongst Hasidim to learn at certain times during the year certain Hasidic discourses. So a Rebbe has many functions. One of the functions of the Rebbe throughout Chabad history is that he would share Hasidus. He would teach Hasidus. Hasidus is the deepest level of Torah. The Torah normally has four levels, Pshat, Remesh, Drush, and Soid. Soid refers to Kabbalah, the secret. And then, beginning with the times of the Baal Shem Tev, and all of this is a preview, a lead-up to the Torah of Moshiach, that God in His kindness, as halachically, before Shabbos, there's a mitzvah to taste some of the food of Shabbos. Even though the mitzvah of having special food is to have special food on Shabbos. But there's an Indian, out of Shabbos, have a piece of whatever you made for Shabbos, before Shabbos. It's called Toyameha Chayim Zohu, that those who taste of it will merit life. So just like you have that halacha when it comes to tasting physical tasty foods, even more importantly, Beruchnius, that there's a special food of Shabbos. The food of Shabbos is the unique type of Torah that will be taught by Mashiach. And a taste of that is Hasidus. Okay, so Chabad Rebbes teach Hasidus. Now we all review it. We learn their Hasidus, but the authority to say a new Hasidic discourse is something only in the realm of a Rebbe. And indeed, one of the functions, like I mentioned, of a Rebbe is a Rebbe says Hasidus. Now, our Rebbe, in the year 1981, on Purim, Tavshim Mem Aleph, said a Right, the Maimer was on, I'm sorry, the Rebbe said this Maimer on Purim, on Purim Katan. The Rebbe said this Maimer on what we call the minor Purim, because it was a leap year. In, Tavshim, in 1981, on the portion of Atat the Rebbe said a Maimer. The Maimer was based on a discourse that the previous Rebbe said in 1927. Now let me share you the story of the origin of this Maimer. 1927 was the year that ultimately the previous Rebbe was arrested in Soviet Union. There was terrible religious persecution by the Soviet Union. It began together with the Bolshevik Revolution that began in the year 1917. It took the Bolsheviks three years to conquer the entire Russia. Right? And they established what they what, what is called what was called the Soviet Union. And as of the year 1920, going forwards, their war against religion, Mamish grew. They had a special, imagine, federal organ that was there to uproot Yiddishkeit. It was called the Yesvetskia or something like that. 
the, its officers sadly were Jewish people who they knew how to identify Jews, they knew who within the Jewish community has to be taken out in order to stop the practice of Yiddishkeit. And over the course of the next seven years, almost all communal centers in the Soviet Union closed down. And if they did not opt to close down, then their leaders were pushed, killed, murdered, or sent away to labor camps, and they were killed there. Few of them survived, right? Manual labor in the coldest of conditions for many, many years. And, uh, and the Friedrich Rebbe and Lubavitch and Chabad was the only Jewish organization that felt in principle that we're not allowed to buckle. We're not allowed to buckle. We viewed this as a time where there is religious persecution, which it was coming from the government, that Jews have to be willing to go on the Sira Snefesh. That means that they have to be willing to give up their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, which is very pain. It's a painful part of our history. All right, and uh, the Friedrich Rebbe was very effective. It was tragic because all of the Chabad Hasidim that originate from Russia, all of us, right? My grandfather, Steri's grandfather, all of the Hasidim, either they or their parents or their uncles were killed or they were sent away in Siberia. A Fruma Jew, especially if he was a Lubavitcher Hasid, and the and the reason why they 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 fought against Lubavitch is because the other private Jews remained private. And they really did not uproot. If you as an individual kept Shabbos, they wouldn't bother you. But if you were to teach keeping Shabbos to the next generation, they were crazy about that. But they understood the importance of education. And until the collapse of the Soviet Union, which happened at the end of the 1980s, the most paid um, worker in the Soviet Union, more than, more than a doctor, was a teacher. And that's something that we should learn from these wicked people. And indeed, the Rebbe gave the greatest chashivas to educators. Mamish, the Rebbe gave a lot of love towards everyone. You can argue maybe more to shluchim, the most to educators. And if they were educating young children, they got the biggest covet of the Rebbe. Because that's really the most important job in the world. And that begins with parents, that we who have the merit of having children in our home, that educating them is the greatest reason for which we came into this world. And educating them, particularly Dafke, Dafke, is to be Frume Yidin. Because Yiddishkeit only continues when we as parents inspire. Now, however the inspiration works. In the older generations, a lot of it came through Gevura. Nowadays, generally, it comes through Chesed. The means really don't matter. It's whatever works, or whatever works best. Because actually, there are many people that too much Chesed won't work. Too much Gevura won't Whatever works. We have to have the time and the wisdom and the effort to figure out what will inspire our children to be happy, observant Jews. And really, that's what we're here for. That's the ikir of all the ikarim. Okay, so, so the Friedrich Rebbe had an educational system. He understood exactly the importance of chinuch. And they actually made a law of the Soviets that all children have to go to public school. And if parents did not send the kids to public school, they wouldn't arrest the kids, their kids. They would arrest the parents. And then the kids would be orphans. They would not allow uncles to adopt the kids. They would take possession. The state would take possession of the children. Like here in America, the Child Protective Services, right? Here, so far at least, they're only taking away your kids. If God forbid, there's, there's the parents are hurting their children. But that's a, let's hope it stays that way. In the Soviet Union, the Child Protective Services were also sent in. If the parents are not sending the kids to public school, then they are abusing their kids. They're not giving them a secular education. So many Fruma Yidin decided that we have to send our kids to public school because sending our kids to a Fruma private school 
will only be temporary. Eventually, the parents are going to be sent away in Siberia. And then the government is going to send the child to a public school. And then he's going to be housed in an orphanage. So not only will he be during the day in a Goyesha school, Shabbos, Yom Tiv, at night, he'll be amongst Goyim. So rationally, it made sense, send the kids to a public school, and during this period, at least educate your kids at home. And the Friedrich Rebbe, that's because he was a Rebbe. This was Beruach HaKodesh. He was against that approach. The Friedrich Rebbe's position was not rational. But the Friedrich Rebbe is at Tzaddik, and he knew exactly what God wanted. And he said that we have to go Al-Kiddush Hashem by sending our kids to Jewish private schools. And that's why our grandparents, they went to private schools, and every Lubavitcher family has stories of tremendous Mesiris Nefesh. And there were consequences. Bottom line is, is that we sent our kids to Chedarim, and there were teachers that the Friedrich Rebbe appointed to be teachers of those Chedarim. They were caught by the government, they were killed or exiled, and the day that they were taken away out of school, the Friedrich Rebbe found a replacement. And that's really awe-inspiring. And don't think the Friedrich Rebbe sent others to go on the forefronts of this war. The Friedrich Rebbe himself actually was certain that he's going to be killed because of his activities. And in 1927, coming back, he was in Moscow raising money for his network. He had over 600 schools that he was supporting. Understand that there was no tuition. That means if you opted to send your kid to a private school, Lubavitch needed to support those teachers. We're speaking about 600 schools, not 600 teachers. This was a tremendous network of of, of educational system. The Friedrich Rebbe was the master fundraiser. It was even impossible to write down budgets because they were always afraid that the government is going to find those written documents and they're going to find out where the schools are and who the teachers are. So the Friedrich Rebbe needed to run all of this out of his mind. Eventually he was arrested. When they arrested him, the goal was, the plan was, we know that from writings, they were going to kill him that night and claim it was an accident. And ultimately, with great miracles, the Friedrich Rebbe was released from that incarceration on Yud Beis, Yud Gimel Tamus. That's just a little bit of a background of that huge Lubavitcher holiday, or really Jewish holiday. But it began, in the, the Friedrich Rebbe was arrested in 1927, sometimes in Sivan, and he was liberated in Tammuz, 1927. Put him prior, he went to Moscow to fundraise. And at that time, the KGB had spies watching him, uh, shadowing him. And he was notified by, the, by his people that you are being watched now by that group in the government which are planning to sooner or later arrest you. And they asked of him not to make a public fabrengen. And the Friedrich Rebbe, Dafke made a public fabrengen. And the fact that hundreds of Hasidim went there is in itself, it just shows you how Hasidim were, were mamish in a mode of Kiddush Hashem. Because whoever went there was risking their lives. Mamish. Not only that, the Friedrich Rebbe during that fabrengen spoke about going al Masidas Nefesh. And he spoke about Jews in the times of Mordechai during the decree of Haman. And actually during that fabrengen he stood up and he ripped open his garments. Mamish, he ripped open the shirt. And he told his Hasidim that when you see this body being burnt by them physically, don't give up. He was convinced that they're going to kill him. And his goal was to inspire his Hasidim to the level that even after they murder him, the movement should go on. It was a nest that he was not killed. So he said a mimer. And the mimer was about, about Messiah's Nefesh. So 1941, the Rebbe said a mimer 
based on that mimer. And let me share with you the synopsis. And this synopsis is so relevant in these Corona days, which is really the last moment of Golos coming back. And that will explain another insight in why is it that if you don't await the imminent coming of Mashiach, then a person is considered a heretic, which is again, a very high, a difficult level to reach. The, the Nakud of the mimer, it's a very deep and long mimer. The Nakuda of it is as follows. That every Jew has within themselves a core. And we're speaking about the soul of a Jew. Even the soul of a Jew has many layers. We are multi-layered people. As we all know, even Lahavdal the Goyim finally discovered something called an unconscious. So we have a conscious, we have an unconscious, then there's a collective conscious, and there's Madregas. Okay. The deepest level of the Nisham is called Yechida. It's so deep. It's so unconscious, it's so superconscious that we do not have access to it. However, when, when there is an exceptional person, an exceptional Jew, who through his work, they reach their core, this is the most authentic type of tzaddik possible, such a person that we call a Rebbe, has then the power and the responsibility to help every Jew reach his or her core. In other words, without a tzaddik, and we're speaking not just about a tzaddik, but without the Rebbe, and every generation has a Rebbe, a person would be unable to reach their core. Now, why do I have to reach my core? Well, you don't have to. A person can live and live a very good life and a very meaningful life without touching their core. Their core is actually some part of ourselves that's so deep that in the prior generations, people normally didn't reach. There are certain extraordinary times that a person has to reach their core. And the Rebbe, this Mimer, speaks about two of such times. There are two models. The model of the life of the Friedrich Rebbe, that's more or less what the Rebbe is saying in the Mimer, and the life of us right before Mashiach. And that's a whole different life. In the 20s, right? And then got Rahman al-Atzlan during the Holocaust. There was a time that the circumstances in which we find ourselves are horrible. And there are many levels of horrible. There's bad and there's worse and there's the end of the world. And as we can at least intellectually relate to, that when circumstances around us are very bad at least from our perspective, in order to live, you have to dig deep within yourself. You have to bring forth a superpower to confront and to overcome the external challenges. In the context of Yiddishkeit, that throughout the past thousands of years, when it was virtually impossible for Yidin to be observant, because every now and then, every now and then, came about a government, a group of people, that they were opposed to observance, to Yiddish observance, and they used force to impose their shtusim, or worse, upon us. If you don't believe in the cross, we're going to kill you. And so it was the cross by the, by the crusaders, and by communism, it's the religion known as atheism, which is also a religion. Or whatever the ism is, right, always was, People had different ways of understanding life. People had different appreciations of life. People had different goals for what they are living, etc., etc. And whenever societies are healthy, and we hope for societies to be healthy, then there's a dialogue. I have my approach, you have your approach. We can 
we can agree to disagree, live and let live, right? That's throughout human history, it's not that common that society is allowed for such freedom. In the majority of, of, of civilization up until now, one group, because of their insecurity or because of real evil, ultimately, they felt that it is their mission to impose their belief system on others. And normally the way one group imposes their ideas on others is not through in intelligence, because there, the smarter one is going to win. But if my position cannot be won over, then it's imposed by fear and by, by terror and by force, by koyach, as was the case by the Soviet Union, that they were using Pashat koyach, they're going to intimidate you, they're going to send you in Siberia, which they did, they're going to hurt you, they're going to beat you, they're going to kill you. You have to accept their ideas. So they forced their ideas, which was, you know, atheism, communism is like a religion, as is now the Western ideas, the liberal worlds, also these are all religion, it's belief systems. And, uh, you know, some people believe in it, some people believe against it, v'chulei v'chulei. And uh, in the past, one group opposed it on the other. And the Rebbe explains that the reason why we needed a person like the Friedrich Rebbe, that was the Nasi of that generation, whose power was to arouse the core within each and every Jew, is because when your core is aroused, you have the Koyach to confront that evil. And he succeeded, and that evil was confronted. And ultimately, the Soviet Union self nullified. It collapsed itself. It wasn't that another group made a war. No, no, no. It itself acknowledged that it's a failed system, which is a beautiful pre-Mashiach moment that the Rebbe said, I can't say a million times, but I'm saying a million times that being that Mashiach is about goodness and about godliness being revealed in the world, so the way he comes into the world is also through goodness and through godliness. The way Mashiach comes into the world, it ever says, is he gave an example, is like the collapse of the Soviet Union. Dafka not through a war where one party has to kill the other, but where the evil itself admits that I'm wrong. Okay, now hold that thought. And there the, the Rebbe pointed out that you would think that this is the most difficult moment in Golis. These moments, like happened during the Soviet era, like it happened during the Holocaust, like it happened during Haman, that things weren't bad. Things were terrible. And things were terrible, Bachlal, and specifically, always, whenever it's terrible, Bachlal, it's always against the Jews specifically. You, Jew, you're the fault. You poisoned the wells. And in such circumstances, there's where we have to live with our core, because if we're not really connected to our core, we won't have the power to live. We're going to succumb. We're going to give up. We're going to lose faith. Even if we won't die physically, our spirit will be crushed. The Rebbe in 1941 spoke beautifully. And he, and he began with a question. And the question is, why is it that Jews that lived under the Soviets for dozens of years, that means they lived there for 30, 40, 50 years, and they came to America, they, they escaped the Soviet Union. After a few years, if you would look at them, they were not that excited externally about Yiddishkeit. Could even be the beard that they wore in Soviet Union, which was again an indication that you're Orthodox. So the beard was the giveaway. There they wore a beard, because if the guy said not to wear it, I'm not going to wear it. When they came to America, America says you're free to do whatever you want. And we'll love, we'll love you and accept you any way you are. So with such an attitude, you would think that they would be even more observant. The Rebbe says, you know what happened? They became less observant. When there was no opposition, they fizzled. 
So the Rebbe says that proves that 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 there is yet a deeper avoda needed before Mashiach comes. And even though we did the avoda of living in a negative environment, in an anti-Semitic environment, and we overcame all different types of anti-Semitisms, we already did all that, and Mashiach yet did not come, is a raya that what is lacking for Mashiach to come, not another terrible calamity, but the Rebbe, that was the Rebbe Shittuf, the Rebbe said this for 40 plus years, that what needs to happen is, is that God has to put Jews in a good setting, where things are good, where you're not suffering of hunger, and you're not facing real panasa challenges, and you're not facing real anti-Semitism. Real anti-Semitism means that someone is going to kill you today because you're Jewish. That's how our grandparents lived. They were scared that the neighbor will go and kill them now because they're Yidin. We don't have that at all. So the Rebbe says, put a Jew in such an environment and tell him that he's free to practice. And we'll love you. And even if you're from, we'll love you all the same. It's all the same thing. What happens to a person then? And the Rebbe's premise is the following. That any behavioral change that I engage in, in response to something external of me, is not really authentic. It's not really my core. It's not really who I am. When I'm speaking about me engaging in a behavior in response to something external, I'm speaking both positive and negative. Negative means that the guy is telling me that I can't keep Shabbos. So then, you know what I told the guy? What, you are going to tell me I can't keep Shabbos? I'm going to show you that I will keep Shabbos. Jews did that. Sometimes they paid with their lives. But what, what stimulated their observance? Some outside negative force. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's gewaldic. That's amazing. That's very inspirational. But the Rebbe argued we don't need that to happen for Mashiach to come because if that would have been what's needed, then Mashiach would have been there already. So the Rebbe says the last Golos is what he called the Golos of America. What's the Golos of America? Okay, the Rebbe wasn't minimizing many individuals that have health issues. The Rebbe was not minimizing people with Parnassah issues. The Rebbe was not minimizing the anti-Semitism that exists in America. The Rebbe was focusing on the following, that what God needs now is for there to be a world in which you won't have any opposition towards your observance. You won't be living in a bad setting. You'll be living in a good setting. Things are good. You are living in the golden Medina. No opposition. Will you be observant? And the answer is, you will only be observant if you will touch your core. And in your core, you want to do what God wants. My core, if I get to that, if I can touch it, if I can be aware of it, desires, is dying, is desperate to do what God wants. And when I tap into that desperation, I'll do what God wants, even without opposition. And the Rebbe says, that's the hardest avoider. Basically, what the Rebbe was saying is that the mission of the Rebbe is to inspire this final generation of Golos, the first generation of the Geula. Inspiring a Jew, you be observant, when there's nothing outside of you that's motivating you, not positive nor negative, and not positive, look at look at our job. This is already in the later years, maybe not in the 80s. I would argue that I've said this mimer in 1981. In 1981, amongst most Fruma communities, if you were from, you were honored. You were honored. You were given status. If you were learned, you were given status. At least in the synagogue. Today we're living at a time that everyone accepts everyone the way they are to the point that. 
you don't even get honor if you're from. You don't get honor if you're more tsanua. You don't get more honor if you do anything special. It's all the same. There's zero motivation to be observant. It used to be that if someone was not observant, at least amongst the Jewish community, you were a little bit of an outcast, right? And very sadly, you still have this a bit today, but not by us. By us, if a person, God forbid, God forbid, stops keeping Shabbos. If a bacher, God forbid, stops putting on tefillin. He's not going to be reprimanded. He's not going to be an outcast. In other words, there's no reason to do what God wants other than the emes. And what's the emes? And not God's emes. That's also not enough. That's external. My emes. This is my truth. But in order for Yiddishkeit to be my truth, I have to to touch my core. I have to touch my core. Argues the Rebbe in the Maimer Va'ata Tetzava, how do I know that I touched my core? I can still be observant in America without any opposition, without any... uh, without any encouragement, without any uh, reward for making the right choice, nothing. The, my life will be mamish the same. I'll be good whether I keep it or not. I'm keeping it because it's the emes. How do I know that I taka touched my core? When a Jew touches their core, there is a desperation in our core for Mashiach. A desperation. Not a belief that Mashiach will come. The neshama is desperate for Mashiach to come. And the coming of Mashiach has everything to do with us finally touching our core. And how do I know that I touched my core? I can measure it by knowing, am I desperate for Mashiach? And the Rebbe says very strongly, if a Jew is desperate for Mashiach because things are bad, then he's not desperate for Mashiach at all. He's desperate for the bad to go away. So therefore, when a Jew was in a terrible situation, individually, person, God forbid, has cancer, uh, he is in the concentration camp, and they shout, Ani Mamen. First of all, amazing, amazing. But it's not the perfect shouting, Ani Mamen. Why not? Because you know why they're shouting? Because if not for the coming of Mashiach, they're doomed. So again, there's something external to them that's motivating them. And what is needed to bring Mashiach, says the Rebbe, is for the call, for the cry of Ad Masai to come from the Jew, not because there's something external that's bad. Not because a person, Chas V'Shalom, has an ill child that the medical world gave up on. So, oi, gewalt, I need Mashiach. Not because I have no Parnassah. Not because of coronavirus. Not because of anti not, not None of that. That, that. We already did that. Doesn't have the, the history is God's hand. It's not random. History does not repeat itself if it would be a pure repetition. Every new Galus has a new purpose. And the Rebbe says that the final frontier that will bring in the redemption is Dafke when Yidin are in a setting where why would I call out for Mashiach? Final, finally, things are good. I finally won $30 million and I'm living in my dream house and I have my country house and all the kids are healthy and good and they're doing great in school. The Rebbe says, now we demand, you cry for Mashiach. That's what the Rebbe was demanding of us. And don't, the Rebbe told us, don't shout Ad Masai because I commanded you to do so. That's not what, that's not the hope, that's not the goal. That's again, that's me calling out for Mashiach for an external reason. Because the Rebbe told me to do it. No, 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 no. I have to call out for Mashiach because I want Mashiach. Who said I want Mashiach? So the Rebbe says, my core is desperate for Mashiach. And the avoid, the pre-Mashiach, is to get in touch with my core. 
It's something that we cannot do without the help of a Rebbe. But since we have a Rebbe, and therefore it's important to get better connected to the Rebbe by learning the Rebbe's Torah, by following the Rebbe's directives, this empowers me to get in touch with my core. And that, I'm going to just go off topic for a moment. Now I will link Mashiach and redemption because the whole world already understands this. What's redemption? When a person feels that they're trapped today, when they use that verbiage and they want to be redeemed, you know what that means today? It doesn't mean that you're sitting in a jail somewhere under Stalin. That's not the entrapment of today. Again, we are living free. Entrapment is that finally, now that we're living in an externally free setting, we are becoming more and more aware how we are entrapped to ourselves. We have vices, we have challenges, we have limitations. And, and most of us nowadays, Dafkin, Golis, America, we are doing something that our grandparents had no time to do, nor were the tools, they didn't have the tools either, that we go today to therapy. All of that is part of the redemptive process. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get in touch with me. I'm trying to free myself from my Yetzir Hara. I know I'm using religious words, but the, the Goyim Lahavdal are on that journey. I have my, my, my weak points, I have my vices, I have my phobias, I have my limitations, I have my Mitzrayim, and I'm trying to get rid of my Mitzrayim. And I'm using all the tools at my disposal, all the tools at my disposal. And it's bothering me. And, and sometimes, you know, it's so ironic. You take a Jew today from the third world that's still struggling to make a livelihood. In their mind, right, take a Jew from Brazil when the economy is terrible. They look at an American Jew and they would think this must be the happiest person in the world. Amachaya, they have a house, they have chinuch, they have parnasa, they have dignity. And they always find it ironic that it looks like people that live in a backwards country, that mamish, there's no healthcare system and there's no parnasa and there's real tzadis, external tzadis, they seem to be happier. They seem to be happier. And Davka, when you look at people, look at even in our society, look at the people that are kaviyachal wealthier. It can look like the wealthier people are less happy. Yes, but you know why it's that way? It's because the people that have it good externally have therefore the free time to look inside. And inside by no one is it fully rectified yet. That's the redemption. So when people ignore what's going on inside, then they can be very happy. Baruch Hashem, I have a piece of bread on the table. Once you have the luxury, which God is giving us, and God should give us more, and we ask for more, we're not minimizing the our people that are challenged with, with many external challenges. Correct. But as a generation, no generation had it as good in Golos as our generation, and that's the point. And that's the point. Because now, you should be happy. Why would you be desperate for something from a Sheikh? Why? Things are good. Because you begin to do inner work. And when you begin to do inner work, you begin to notice. I begin to notice that I have a lot of darkness in me. And I have a lot, I have a lot of limitations. And, and it's hard to overcome it. And I'm working on it. And it's an inner work. And I need to be redeemed. And I'm crying out for Mashiach. I'm crying out Mashiach that Mashiach should save me from me. Not from something out there. That is the cry that will bring in Mashiach. And that's why the Rambam writes that if you're not desperate for Mashiach... It, you're like, it's heretical because the desperation is needed for Mashiach to come. And again, the desperation is not the desperation in the past. If it's the desperation because of, of a virus, if it's a desperation because of anti-Semitism, if it's a desperation because of a societal breakdown, all these types of desperations is not 
the desperation that 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 authenticates the ad masai cry. That's not an authentic cry. That's crying out the way we did in the past, and Mashiach still didn't come because we're crying out for Mashiach to be saved from something negative. Why am I saying these words? Because as it always happened, tragically giving all the right justifications for people, assuming that everyone is well-intended, even if that's the case, there is an illness amongst the human psyche, has nothing to do with religion, and that is, is that people somehow link something good happening with something terrible happening. So there is this warped, corrupted way of thinking, cruel, it's cruelty, it's rishus, an evil way of thinking, you want Mashiach, you're going to have to suffer. This is a very cruel person. It begins, they're, they're probably very cruel on themselves, which is not good. We have to keep ourselves accountable, but we're not allowed to be cruel to ourselves. These people are also very cruel to people around them. And in a communal sense, they like to speak about, this is pre-Balshemtav, the Balshemtav fought against this with this neshama. And it's tragic that people that call themselves Hasidim fell down this very dark, evil hole. And they go ahead and they go to communities and they give, they preach to people that how wicked you are and how sinful you are and how much tshuva is needed. Now, hold on. No one is saying that we're perfect. God forbid. God forbid. But the way we grow, the healthy Mashiach redemptive way of growth is not, oh, how terrible I am. I'm going to do tshuva and I'm going to grow. No. Is that is that I have to recognize my strong points and my weak points, but it has to be balanced. And ideally, grow with your strong points. Being that I'm so good at something, go for gold. You're good. So why don't you go into the Olympics and use it for something even greater? You see how good you are. And that's, you know, when we have children, that's the healthier way of raising children. Not to uh, shame them. Ugh. You're so dumb. You're so stupid. Only if you're going to make... Then you're going to get the 80 on your test or the 90. And then you'll be good. Right? What kind of horrible parents is that? So you have people that use the most horrific, outdated, cruel parenting tools still in the communal level. That, ah, you see there's a corona. And you see there's anti-Semitism. Ah, you think it's bad? Ho, ho, ho. You don't know. This is just the beginning. It's going to get... Very, very, very bad. That's that's if you do tshuva. If you don't do tshuva, ooh, it's going to be, the Holocaust will be like an Eden. And Achman al that people are insinuating that, or they're even saying it explicitly. Now, how they have a platform is beyond me. Beyond me, right? These are, these are common people. It's not that there is a tzaddik that makes such a statement. So before the Holocaust, by the way, even then, there were very few tzaddikim that spoke about it. They probably did not know about it. God hid it from them. The Friedrich Rebbe said, God hid it from me. He did not know about it. But let's say the word, the Chafetz Chaim knew about it. But that's different. When you have a Yid that's a Tzaddik, that's a Tzaddik, that gets up there and he's foretelling of a calamity or go back to the prophets, that's different. That's because God told them that this is about to happen and tell people to do tshuva. Right? So when, when, when he went, when Yoyna went and he told the king of Ninveh, do tshuva because only if you'll do tshuva will you be saved from a calamity. That was Emes because, because he, Yoyna was a Navi. None of these people are claiming to be in the VM. None of them said, God came to me and he told me to say. None of them are saying that. I hope not. Because if they're saying it, then they're also liars. In their, in their cruelty and their terrible chinuch, these are people that were beaten by their parents. 
maybe these are people that are from because they were beaten into it. So, you know, it's like people that were abused, abused. So they think, if it worked for me, it's going to... And that's, that's, that's all they know. They are underdeveloped, cruel people. I'm saying this strongly because there are a couple of uh, videos that people sent me that are spewing such Christian evil talk that it's shocking that, that they have a following. They have a following because, because somehow, you know, we have with all in us, you know, we have a desire to live and we have a desire to die. And this is arousing the, the desire to die. So it's like attractive. It's like watching a horror movie. Why do people watch a horror movie? I don't know. But people are attracted to horror, to evil, to cruelty. And that's what's happening. So Kanamakim to reiterate the Divrei Elikim Chaim, the Rebbe is a Navi. The Rebbe did basically say that God communicated to him. And the Rebbe told us that Mashiach is coming in our generation. And how is Mashiach coming? Dafka, not because things are bad and we're calling out for Mashiach because it's bad. Now, yeah, a couple of months ago when the Corona was even worse, there's nothing wrong for a Yid telling God by Pesach, God, bring Mashiach, I can't take this. Of course, when things are bad, call out, nothing wrong with calling out for Mashiach. But Mashiach will come. You know what's going to happen? The world will get better. The world will get a lot better. It's going to be better for you. Your life will get better. And then the challenge will be, hold on, now that things are better, am I going to still call out for Mashiach with the same desperation that I called it for Mashiach in the beginning of the coronavirus? When things looked a lot worse. Things are getting better, and they're going to get a lot better. And our avoidah is to call out from Mashiach, not because something out there is bad. No, out there it's great. I'm calling out from Mashiach because my core is crying out from Mashiach. And my avoidah, pre-Mashiach, is to get close to my core, to work, inner work. And, 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 and another, another nuance to that. When you learn Tanya, the first section of Tanya, what Al-Tarebbe basically establishes is that what God expects of us is behavior. Inner work, to, to feel, to rectify our emotions, to rectify our ways of thinking, that's called the avoida of the tzaddik. True that a big part of Tanya is dedicated to give us tips how to succeed somewhat, but we are constantly reminded by the Alter Rebbe that full success is beyond our grasp. We can never fully rectify our inner workings. We could and we have to be in control of our behavior, including our words and the way we, and our thoughts, but that's it. But Midois, Moichen, ooh, that's the tzaddik. The Rebbe in the final mimer that he gave out, the Rebbe who said this mimer in 1981, the Rebbe gave it out, put him cut in 1992. I put him cut in is, is, is the 14th of other, and the Rebbe had a stroke on the 27th. That means shortly before the first stroke, that was the final mimer the Rebbe gave out. And Hasidim viewed this mimer as the Rebbe's final message to us. And that's the final, and this is the final message before Mashiach. That a Yid has to know that life is good and life is going to get better. And again, we're not minimizing individual tzaddis. And, and we daven that they should go away. And we cry out that they should go away. But as far as Mashiach is concerned, what will usher in the Messianic era is dafka not when things are bad and therefore we do tshuva because things are bad. The opposite. Things are great. And we're going to be so filled with gratitude for God's kindness and we should be filled with gratitude even now. And things are still going to get a lot better. But look how good the world is. Even with the Gansa Corona, compared to our great-grandparents, that the Imamish didn't have food for tomorrow, v'chulei, v'chulei, right? I'm not, I'm not minimizing the tzaddis, 
but putting it in, in perspective that we should look at the positive and we should know and these thoughts bring it out even more that it's going to get even a lot better. It's going to get better beyond our wildest dreams. And yet, a Jew always has to know that if I would be in touch with my core, no matter how good it gets, I'm desperate for Mashiach. Desperate for Mashiach. We have to be Mashiach fans. Guys, do you know what fan? What is a fan? A fan is fanatic. It's a sport fanatic. We have to be fanatics. We have to be fans of Mashiach. A fan for Mashiach is not to cry it for Mashiach when things are terrible. We did that already. And that did not bring Mashiach. It's external oriented. It has to be inner oriented. So coming back over here, the emuna in Mashiach has to be what type of emuna? It has to be emuna that makes a person, no matter how good things are, to be desperate and to be awaiting for Mashiach. Now there's an agony with that, yeah? And, and God is in agony, and the core of our soul is in agony, not because things are bad, because we are in goals. Everything is good other than the most important thing, which is we are in goals. I, I don't fully understand what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. That's my consciousness. That's a lack of my knowledge. My core knows what will happen when Mashiach will come. And just to say the words, there's going, God will be revealed in this world. And as long as God is not revealed in this world, even when the world is good and the world is getting better and the world is discovering more medications and people are living longer and there's less pain and there's easier parnasa, all of that is great, but the main thing is missing. What's the main thing? Mashiach is not here. So really the Rebbe worded the Mimer in a way that our final avoida is not to deal with exterior things, which is why Hashem made our lives relatively a lot easier, which frees up more time for us to work in inner avoidance. And the more inner avoidance you do, I'm going to reverse, the better your life will become. Because some people, they need a Kickstarter, sadly. We already had that in the past. So when things are bad, when there's a crisis in the marriage, they go running to the therapist. No, the goal is go run to the therapist when things are great. Just because good is good doesn't mean better is not better. And go deeper. This type of work of going from good to better to better is the whole era of Mashiach. What do you think? When Mashiach will come, everything will be stagnant. We're going to grow. There's going to be tremendous growth. What will motivate the growth in the times of Mashiach? Not bad things. No, in Mashiach's days, there won't be bad things. This is already the model. Let's get, in, let's get into Mashiach mode before Mashiach comes. That brings in Mashiach. Let's learn how to grow, not because things are bad. Let's learn how to grow in spite of the fact that things are good or because of the fact that our things are good or other different ways of wording it. And this is the world that we find ourselves in and we should all be zoicha to fulfill the Rebbe's directives of being desperate for Mashiach amongst abundance. So the abundance is up to God. So we ask of God, God give us the abundance, give us the refuah, give us the beautiful life in order for us to be able to do our part, which is that to acknowledge that no matter how good things are, we are desperately awaiting for, and therefore when we shout out Ad Masai, we're not crying out Ad Masai because we are afraid of some calamity. No, no, we are shouting out Ad Masai for only one reason, because it is the end of the world that Mashiach is not here. That's the only reason. And so, so may it be for us that it should be on one hand, Toiv begashmiyas uberuchniyas, and we should be zoicha with the Rebbe's koyach.
to reach our neshamas and to take a feel our core. And when I, I will feel our my core, I'll feel the Rebbe's desperation from Mashiach. And that will usher in the imminent coming of HaMelech HaMashiach is going to get up. And he's going to restore the monarchy in Israel. And he's going to build a temple. And he's going to gather us there. And we will finally be able to practice all of God Almighty's holy mitzvahs. May that happen now. Amen.